Hey guys, welcome back to the Thrilogy Podcast. My name's Morgan, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Krista. And I'm Cameron. Before I dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a special shout out to Johnny W. As you all know, we release clues leading up to the release of our new episodes, and Johnny W. is actually our first listener to correctly guess the topic of an episode before its release. So before our last episode aired, he actually accurately guessed that it would be on the Summerton Man, which I thought was super impressive. So thank you again, Johnny W. And for our other listeners, please don't forget, if you'd like a shout out at the beginning of our next episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or send us a guess on our social medias. But now let's move on to today's episode. Today, we'll be discussing Virginia Hall. Virginia Hall is one of the most accomplished American spies that surprisingly most people have never heard of. Now, I know this isn't a typical topic for us, but I was inspired by so many of our recent cases related to spies. So once I heard a little bit about Virginia's unique story, I knew we had to talk about her. Let's start by talking a little bit about her early life before she became a spy. Virginia Hall was born in Baltimore, Maryland on April 6, 1906. She was raised in a wealthy family and was surrounded by equally privileged families. Her family was expecting her to marry into that circle and lead a, you know, typical normal life, but Virginia had other plans. She was wildly adventurous and liked to hunt, which was unique for a woman in those days. She actually went to school one day wearing a bracelet made of live snakes. Throughout her early life, she was constantly dismissed as someone not very important or of no importance. While that's not totally unique for that time, she didn't let that stop her. She decided to go to university where she studied French, Italian, and German. Again, she had this strong yearning for adventure and went on to finish her studies in Europe. She traveled around and studied in France, Germany, and Austria, and completely fell in love with Europe, and specifically France. She applied to quite a few jobs and finally landed a clerical position in Poland. A few months later, she was transferred to a similar position in Turkey. Unfortunately, while she was hunting birds in Turkey, she accidentally shot herself in the foot. The wound ended up getting horribly infected, and eventually her left leg was amputated below the knee. Her recovery was excruciatingly long and painful, but Virginia again didn't give up and learned how to use a wooden leg. Some say this injury was actually a turning point for her that gave her another boost of motivation that she could do great things. Virginia then decided she wanted to become an American ambassador in France. She applied several times, but was denied by the State Department. Apparently, there was a rule against hiring people with disabilities as diplomats. Virginia even pleaded her case to President Roosevelt, who was also disabled, but she was still denied. So when World War II broke out and Nazi Germany invaded France, Virginia volunteered to drive an ambulance for the French. Once France was overrun, she fled to Spain, where she happened to meet a British intelligence officer named George Bellows. George was so impressed by her that he gave her a phone number to a friend that might help her find a job in England. This friend was Nicholas 
Boddington, who worked for the Special Operations Executive, or the SOE. The SOE was a secret British World War II volunteer organization. It was formed to conduct espionage, sabotage, and to gather information in occupied Europe against the Axis powers. Through Nicholas, Virginia joined the SOE in April 1941. She went through training and then was sent to Vinci, France. She was the second woman to be sent to France through the SOE and was the first to remain there for a long period of time. During Virginia's time in France, she was deep undercover and changed her appearance through makeup and disguises. She posed as a reporter for the New York Post and through this alias interviewed people, gathered information, and wrote stories that were very useful to military planners. As I mentioned, being a female secret agent at that time was quite unique. She used that to her advantage and was described as somewhat invisible. The German officers didn't necessarily think that a woman would be capable of being a spy, so she wasn't on their radar for a long time. Virginia had to learn most things on her own, but she was a natural-born spy and founded a network of agents. The network was named Heckler, and she recruited many prominent figures. Most notably, she recruited a gynecologist and an owner of a prominent brothel. That brothel not only served as a safe house, but was also highly valuable in obtaining information from the German officers who visited the brothel. As I said, Virginia was a natural, and in October of 1941, she sensed danger and decided not to attend a scheduled SOE meeting. Well, as it turns out, French police raided that meeting and captured dozens of agents. After that raid, Virginia was one of the few SOE agents still working in France. The winter of 1941 was pretty brutal for Virginia. She was miserable, and at one point she even asked the SOE to just please send her at least a bar of soap. However, she continued to persevere and build contacts in the area. She was wildly independent and told the SOE to, quote, lay off when they suggested a man supervise her. Now, remember how her fellow agents were captured after that SOE meeting? Well, in the spring of 1942, Virginia found out where the arrested agents were being held. At this point, Virginia was too well-known to visit the prison herself, but she had contacts there and began to work with them to plan a jailbreak for her fellow secret agents. One prisoner's wife regularly visited the prison and was known to frequently bring food to her husband, including tins of sardines. The prisoner's wife began to smuggle in tools with this food, and through those tools and actually the sardine tins, the prisoners were able to craft a key to the door to the barracks. In the meantime, Virginia created a network of safe houses, vehicles, and other helpers. On July 15, 1942, the prisoners escaped. They hid in the woods, and an intense manhunt ensued. Virginia met up with them and was able to smuggle them to Spain and then back to England, an impressive feat historians call one of the war's most useful operations of its kind. The Germans, of course, learned about the escape and were furious. They started building a profile for Virginia and put, quote, the limping lady on their most wanted list. They sent 500 agents to France, where Virginia was living, in an attempt to infiltrate and destroy the French resistance and the SOE networks. 
The man in charge of capturing Virginia was Klaus Barbie, also known as the Butcher of Lyon. He was infamous and was responsible for the torture and murder of thousands in France. In other words, he was not someone you wanted to mess with. Klaus had wanted posters made featuring a sketch of Virginia and the words, The enemy's most dangerous spy. We must find and destroy her. Through this effort, the Nazis were closing in on Virginia. However, in true Virginia fashion, she escaped to Spain. She walked for three days for 50 miles in heavy snow over the Pyrenees Mountains. I can't imagine doing that in general, but Virginia did it on a wooden leg. Once she arrived in Spain, she was arrested for illegally crossing the border. But after six weeks, the American embassy was able to have her released. She then made her way back to Britain, where she was made an honorary member of the Order of the British Empire. After she returned to London, she began getting bored and wanted to return to France. The SOE, of course, denied her request and said that she was compromised and that it was way too dangerous. However, like every other time in Virginia's life, she wouldn't take no for an answer. She contacted the American Office of Strategic Services, also known as the OSS, about a job and was hired as a second lieutenant. In preparation for her return to France in her new role, she dyed her hair gray and had a makeup artist teach her how to draw wrinkles on her face. She hid her limp by pretending to shuffle like an older woman and actually also had a dentist grind down her beautiful white teeth so that she could blend in more. Oh my god, I just like audibly gasped when I thought about the grinding teeth. I know, me too. That I know is she was committed to the cause. Literally. Yes, like she was so desperate to go back to France. She had another position probably elsewhere, but she was so committed to go back to France that she even grinded down her teeth. So on March 21st, 1944, she returned to France with a forged identification card. Her codename was Diane, but her identification card stated her name was Marcel Montagna. From March to July, Virginia roamed around France in this disguise. On one occasion, she even made cheese and sold it to a group of German soldiers. She built her network up again and established safe houses and drop zones for resistance groups. Her resistance groups led many successful attacks on infrastructure and German soldiers. However, she did have one unsuccessful jailbreak mission. In August of 1944, Virginia was given her next major assignment. She was instructed to shed her disguise and to help the Maquis, a group of French resistance fighters. She established her headquarters in southern France and began her work assisting the Maquis. As a woman with a relatively low rank, she had difficulty asserting herself as an authority figure over the Maquis groups and the colonels that led them. As we know, Virginia did not like being told what to do, and she complained to the OSS. She stated, You send people out to ostensibly work with me and for me, but you do not give me the necessary authority. Predictably, the OSS was not helpful and did not give her a well-deserved higher rank. So Virginia took matters into her own hands and told the McKees leaders that she would finance them and give them weapons, but only if they would be advised by her. At first, the leaders of the McKees continued to be a problem, but then she received three planes worth of supplies. 
She distributed these supplies and gained their trust and respect. At the peak of her time with the McKeese, she led a network of about 1,500 people. One person in this network was French-American soldier Paul Guillot, who would later become her husband. They reclaimed French villages, sabotaged trains, and completed numerous sabotage operations. Most notably, they forced German occupiers to withdraw their forces from nearby areas and head north with the rest of the retreating German forces. In September, Virginia and Paul left France and eventually made their way to Austria to start an anti-Nazi resistance. Incredibly, she worked all the way up until the very end of the war, and once the Nazi regime collapsed, her and Paul returned to Paris. After the war was over, Virginia returned to Lyon, France, to unite with the people who had helped her during her first posting. Remember the gynecologist and the brothel owner? Well, they were both captured by German soldiers and sent to concentration camps. Miraculously, they both survived, but many of her other close allies were not so lucky. Eventually, Paul and Virginia returned home to the United States for the first time in many years. They got married, and Virginia and Paul both joined the CIA. The British, French, and of course the Americans all recognized Virginia's contributions to the war. However, by request, she was honored in private. President Truman wanted to honor Virginia at a public White House ceremony, but Virginia declined, stating that she wanted to remain undercover. William Donovan, the OSS chief, awarded Virginia with the Distinguished Service Cross, making her the only civilian woman to receive one during World War II. Again, this was a private ceremony, and Virginia's mother was the only outsider present at the ceremony. During Virginia's time at the CIA, she was actually quite unhappy. Virginia thrived on the adrenaline and the adventure during the war, and at the CIA, she mainly did desk work. She constantly received poor performance reports from her supervisors, and no one really knew what to do with her. Virginia's husband, Paul, was also unhappy at the CIA, and reportedly eventually left to start an unsuccessful restaurant. So after the restaurant failed, he was a, quote, house husband, while Virginia continued to work at the CIA until her mandatory retreat at the age of 60. Once Virginia retired, her and Paul lived on a farm in Barnesville, Maryland. Virginia passed away on July 8, 1982, and her husband Paul passed away just five years later. Virginia never spoke of her time at war, which leaves many of her adventures still a mystery. Many retired agents choose to write books, conduct interviews, and just generally speak about their experiences, but Virginia was never interested in doing so. Even with her own family, Virginia was quoted as saying, quote, many of my friends were killed for talking too much. So I think a common theme throughout Virginia's life was that she continued to persevere even when she was rejected and put down many, many times. She seemed built for this role that she generally wasn't accepted in, and she wasn't interested in being, you know, normal. Anyway, I want to hear your final thoughts on Virginia. No, I think this was really interesting, and this is definitely outside of kind of the realm of what we normally do. You know, a lot of our episodes are about true crime and different true crime-related deep dives or things that have to do with forensics or the investigations, but... 
I'm really glad that you went over this. This I almost called it a case, and that just goes to show <laughs> what kind of episodes we normally do. But I'm really glad that you went over kind of her her life story because we've talked about spies so much, and I think it's really easy to hear like, oh yeah, you know, she like for example last week when we were talking about Jessica Thompson and hearing about why people suspected her to be a spy it kind of gives you a little bit more insight hearing about an actual spy um and i think i don't doubt that spies are going to come up again in the future so it was really interesting to hear about her crazy woman honestly like incredibly impressive everything that she did and was willing to do i mean that's passion right there but yeah yeah i thought it was really interesting as well because Especially for that time period, it's not often that you highlight female characters like in history. If you do, it maybe is like battlefield nurse that like saved everybody or something like that. But this is like she was on the front lines, which is super interesting. And you could tell she clearly had a passion for it because, you know, to the very end, she's talking about like, I want to be honored in private and how her friends were killed for opening their mouths, which is like very mobster of her that's what i thought about immediately but it's really interesting she's pretty cool it's girl power so thank you everyone for listening and for joining us today you can find any photos and sources for this episode on our website trilogypodcast.com we release new episodes every monday and each week we post two clues leading up to our next episode the clue for next week is that we are breaking out Be sure to check out our Instagram for the second clue later this week. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you can keep up with all things Thrilogy on social media at at ThrilogyPod and make story requests on ThrilogyPodcast.com.